and welcome to a very special edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I am bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, someone that I've traveled the world with, as we, we say on the episode, Spencer Pollard of the band Trash Talk, um, of a bunch of other bands we get into on today's episode as well, uh, a good friend of mine, more on that in a second. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, you can head over to DamienAbraham.com. There's an email address there. You can send me an email. You can also find me on various forms of social media at left for Damien. And uh, if you would like to support this show, you can do so by subscribing to it or rating it or writing a review for it over there on the iTunes. Also, as of this week, I am very proud to announce that we finally have a sponsor here on the show, Vans. And of course, the House of Vans have come through and agreed to help me do this thing and help me kind of pay for the gear and help me get some new equipment for this stuff. And it's it's great for a couple reasons, or a few reasons, I should say. Number one, the aforementioned having enough money to kind of, you know, update the gear and, and be able to do something with this show finally. Number two, being able to go to all these House of Vans events throughout the summer. I'm going to have more on that in one second, including the one that's happening tonight. Yep, very proud to announce I'm going to be at one tonight. That's an incredible bill. More on that in a second. But also, it's it's great because Vans is someone, you know, Vans is someone. Vans is a company that has supported my band, uh, Fucked Up, for a long time, given us a lot of opportunities to play some pretty crazy shows in some pretty unreal places. We got to play with 2 Chains one time um, because of the House of Vans show and stuff like that. So, you know, there's like that kind of like relationship with them that goes back a while. Uh, and most importantly, they don't want any influence on the content of the show. So you will be hearing very little interference. I'm not going to be cutting into these interviews and, and telling you to buy a mattress or to, you know, do whatever else other podcasts have to do to survive. Or I'm not going to actually be asking you to send me money. I'm just going to be telling you that if you are so inclined to go out and check some of these House of Vans parties out because they are going to be fun times. And I'm going to be at a few of them, including tonight in Chicago. House of Vans has just opened a uh, new venue in Chicago um, in the West Loop area. And I'm going to be going there tonight to recording a live uh, Turned Out a Punk podcast there. I'm going to be doing it at a incredible show. This show is unreal. This is why I love uh, these concerts. It's Toys That Kill. Dillinger 4 and the Lawrence Arms. So tonight, you're not going to hear this till next week, but tonight I'm going to be finally, finally recording the Dillinger 4 episode of this podcast and Lawrence Arms and Toys That Kill. So I'll be doing that live in the art gallery space that they have set up. Um, and it's it's going to be awesome. It's 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 going to be a fun time. It's going to be, uh, you know, and if you haven't been to a House of Vans, it's got art galleries, it's got a skate park, and it's a free show, you know, and there's there's also films there. There's, there's all sorts of stuff going on. So... Uh, if, if you would uh, be so inclined to show up at that show early and, you know, they're going to pluck some people out of line and you get to sit in on this live Turn Out of Punk podcast recording. And so I'm going to be doing these uh, at House of Vans all over the summer. If you want to find out more information, you can go to houseofvans.com and it's going to have other parties listed that are happening throughout the summer. And yeah, this is amazing. So, you know, I got to play with the Cro-Mags because of House of Vans. I got to uh, play with 2 Chains because of House of Vans. And now I get to finally do the Dillinger 4 and, and Toys That Kill, which of course features members of FYP and Lawrence Arms, who are a legendary band that I know have stories for days. So what a win, 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 win for everyone. Um, and yeah, once again, I'm not going to be telling you to give me money, uh, to, to hear these podcasts and I'm not going to be telling you to, uh, go out and fill out surveys. I'm not going to be doing any of that, but I'm just going to be saying thank you very much to Vans for allowing me not to do that because that's been the big kind of pull at this point. Cause when you do a podcast, it's awesome, but it does take up a lot of time and there's stuff that, you know, I would love to do, but I couldn't afford to do for this show and now I'll be able to. So Yes, thank you very much to Vans, and thank you very much to House of Vans for making this happen. And tonight, Chicago, 
come out to the House of Vans and get to see me do this live and also incredibly, incredibly get to see that lineup of bands because, whoa, that's a fun lineup. I'm about to go to the airport right now and get on a plane. But first, I want to send this podcast to you and also let you know that my good buddy Spencer Pollard is on the show this week. Spencer is, the, of course, in the band Trash Talk. Spencer is someone who, I don't know, I've gotten to know very well over the years just from playing shows with him all over the place and someone that I, I really love to talk to and hang out with, uh, someone that broke me in with the rest of Trash Talk in the cannabis world in a, in a big way. So I think I have them to credit for this uh, super tolerance that I have. Um, and yeah, Trash Talk, as I, as I kind of say in this episode, that's a band that really kind of shifted the paradigm in punk and hardcore music. They kind of have set their own path that they've they've walked on and they've done a lot of things that you know i'm jealous of (laughs) you know i wish i had been able to do some of the stuff that they've been able to do and yeah they've always been their own band right from the very beginning right from the very get-go if some people remember back when they had some label issues way in the very beginning they've always been a band that's kind of had their own path in mind and and have followed it and I've been stoked to have someone from the band on for a long time. Very excited to have Spencer on. Spencer, of course, grew up in Bakersfield, California, a very interesting town from my experiences of being there. And also someone that, you know, had a legit run at athletics. And I've always find it very interesting, of course, as regular listeners to this podcast know when people have that kind of like dual pull and push in their lives. So anyway, it's a shorter podcast because I had to run pick up my kids, but everyone please sit back and relax and enjoy Spencer Pollard on Turned Out a Punk. Spencer, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Well, as I, like, you know, we were just talking off air, catching up, but like you're someone that I've traveled literally the world with yeah it's kind of funny to think about yeah world travelers yeah world travelers (laughs) we've got some air miles together we've put in those uh distances over the years touring together and playing shows together and now uh you know as i was saying off air i can't wait to talk to you about growing up in the town you grew up because it's one of the uh most intense shows i think we've ever played (laughs) was in bakersfield that's awesome yeah Um, it can be an intense place well, okay. Well, let's get we'll get there in a second, but let's start this off the way I start them all off, which is Spencer. How'd you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? Um, I guess it was probably like, I mean, the first record that really like struck me as like as punk to me. But of course, I was like a fourth grader with like a Jimi Hendrix record. But I did that. Of course, that's not punk. No, that uh, is that's I, I count that definitely, and that's like. <laughs> And you hear that from like the first wave of British punks that Jimi Hendrix was like the one of the only artists that got that pass. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. I never really thought of it that way. Yeah. But it was like, I was at my, uh, my parents had a, like a high school reunion, like a, uh, I don't know if it was 15 or 20 years, but there was a reunion at like a family picnic. And then they had a couple, a couple that they were friends with from high school. They had a, a son that was probably like 12 or 13. I was around mm-hmm. 10, so he, like, was this really cool, like, older kid with long hair. And, like, <laughs> oh, man, he's cool. And we had the same Quad City DJ's uh, train CD single, and our CD cases were, like, <laughs> swapping, showing CDs and stuff. Like, oh, he likes the same music I like. So he's like, dude, check this out. And he hands me a Jimi Hendrix CD and just gives it to me. It was, like, a, I think it was The Ultimate Experience, mm-hmm. one that's got, like, the kind of pink, pink disc. any rate that thing blew my mind. And from there, I just was trying to find faster, louder, more distorted music and kind of just snowballed from there. And then got into kind of skateboarding through that. And through some of the friends I kind of played sports with as they got older, we all kind of got older and got into more, more extreme forms of music, I guess. So yeah, like where'd you kind of go from, how old were you when you heard Jimi Hendrix actually? I was like uh, 10, I guess. 10. Okay. 11. So you're still pretty young, but so where'd you kind of go from there? Were you, you were, and you're also playing baseball at this point. Cause you got like, really, that was like a career choice at one point, right? <laughs> yeah. Trying to kind of, I went to, went to college and played a little ball, uh, ended up getting hurt, but it was kind of like through that, through sports, actually, I started, I joined my first band. Uh, I was playing football in high school and I was a quarterback. So I had to, I had to yell a lot. And <laughs> one of my linemen was a, 
was a guitar player and he had, he played in a few bands in junior high and was like, dude, like, what kind of music do you like? And I, at that point, it was like, I don't know. I listened to the Vandals. I like MXPX. And he's like, dude, check this out. You should start a band. I'm like, all right, cool. So that was kind of the start of my first band. It was called Scaryville. And like, it was basically like a, we just wanted to play fast, fast shit, but we didn't really know which way we were going. So it was like <laughs> all across the board. And from there, we ended up playing like hardcore shows uh, with this band, Die Hard Youth from Tehachapi. Oh, I remember Die Hard Youth. Yeah, Andy French here, that dude was like, kind of like, I've probably drunkenly spoken to him a few times, like, like over the last, like, maybe 10 years or so, not so much recently in a couple of years, but telling him how, like, how, how much of, like, a, a monolith that diehard youth was <laughs> for the Bakersfield punks, because, like, that was, like, this really cool band that was not from there. It was fast. They came down from the mountain and they brought, you know, that the diehard youth crew was, like, 20, 30 kids that would just come down, like, hardcore dance all over this little, all over the Jerry's Pizza circle pits that we were used to, like, slipping and sliding in the beer grease. <laughs> but these kids would all come down and do this, like, organized, like, two-step, and, like, everyone's like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've always, I always heard, sorry, go on, go on. No, 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 go ahead. I've always heard, I've heard that, like, it's like in there that corn is, like, like, was, like, just, like, the band, right, for kids. Like, some kids, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've actually I played on a on a, a junior football team from when I was probably like maybe eight to twelve. And the area of town I lived in was near a high school called Highland, and of course the Highland is their mascot is the Scotsman. So we were the Scots, and so our colors were green. It was like a, a Scotsman, and we got to the championship game because our team was a bunch of like little wrestlers, and everyone was small but could take direction and were pretty strong for their size. Mm-hmm. But we ended up we ended up making the championship. My cousin had a El Camino with a couple of like big ass like fifteen inch kicker speakers and like some crazy amps. Brought out uh brought it drove it out onto the uh you know, the track near the field and blasted uh shoots and ladders. <laughs> <laughs> but corn is definitely a, a, a part of heavy music for me. Yeah, and I've heard it's like also like it's not like you know, like not to say that corn's maligned in the rest of the world, but like it's like they're much more like on the hardcore side of things or like embraced more by the hardcore kids in Bakersfield, I yeah. hear than in other parts because they're the band, they're the local band. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's, it's getting to a point now where hardcore kids can admit like, Oh yeah, I like system of the down for a little bit. Yeah. Like Bakersfield never, I, don't, I feel like most of the kids I know from Bakersfield never were like, nah, man, corn's weak. Dude, corn's weird. It was just like, yeah, I don't know, man. Fieldy's wearing makeup now, but that's just heavy. <laughs> that's just definitely heavy. Yeah, my, uh, my grandma and, and Jonathan's grandma are like neighbors, like super weird. Like my my uncle in the '80s was married to Jonathan's wife or Jonathan's aunt for a period of time. Yeah, I mean it's it's heavy, man. It's undeniably heavy. Like you, if you go back now and listen to like Life Is Peachy or something like that, it's it's just like I don't know that clicky bass, but. Uh, <laughs> it's hard. It's, it's still hard. It's, you it, catch, it's, you'll catch me driving around listening to it every once in a while. <laughs> I can hear. I can hear you rep it. I like. I think I was just out of the corn, like window. But I'm like I'm not not being from Bakersfield, obviously as well. Um, but we yeah. did we did get to play one show with them, and I got to say, Jonathan Davis is is like a cool ass dude. Yeah, he's awesome. He's he's super nice. Uh, yeah, super nice. His his his. his our grandmothers are actually like next door neighbors. So, uh, his, his grandma's super sick too. Dottie. Shout out to Dottie. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. So yeah, we did sound wave with, uh, with corns. So we played a few, a few days of the same, you know, kind of with a uh, little trailers in the back near theirs. So I always made a point to kind of go say what's up and like, yeah, he's definitely cool. Views. Yeah. Yeah. That's that way. Like sound wave was a lot of fun that way. Cause like you got to like hang out with your heroes on a real equal playing field. Absolutely. I think you get to see like books out of somewhat even playing field. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> some Definitely. The, some, of the, some, of the, some of the guys still look at you. You see the guys that weren't you here as like, like the Jared Leto's like tell it, like give like, you know, like the talk to the hand kind of thing to like people. Is like, Oh my God. <laughs> I think we did it together one year. Right. And then, but then I think we also did it separately each a year. And you guys, didn't you guys yeah. do the year with like, like one time, well, the year we did it was so much fun. It was like us and Terror was on it and High on Fire. 
Yeah, yeah, I think Pennywise was on that year as well. That's right, Pennywise too. It was like that was a super fun one, and then we did another one where it was not as fun. The makeups of the fans. Yeah, there's sometimes it's, it's, you get kind of a weird day because they do like the weird they staggered day thing. So you're yeah. like, oh, cool, all my friends are gonna be down there. And then it's like, oh, they're actually one city behind us or ahead of us the entire <laughs> two weeks of them. Yep, yep. Or the band or you, you really like want to mushroom see. You're going. Yeah, exactly. But then you get to see Mushroom Head or something weird, and it's like, oh, that's still a band. <laughs> yeah, it worked out. It worked out. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, so where, how did you get into the Vandals? You mentioned you were already into the Vandals by the time you first did your your first band. Where did you hear about them for the first time? Uh, just with friends, like uh, skateboarding and hanging out with friends. It was all like everyone was just kind of like playing stuff for each other, and like I guess. Uh, I don't know if they were on any of those like Punkorama compilations or the uh, Scott Records compilations, but it was like through bands like that and be like, oh, you listen to that, listen to this. You like No Use for a Name, listen to Propagandi. You like, mm-hmm. you know, bounce, Bouncing Souls, listen to, you know, whatever. And it's just kind of like this spitball kind of thing with, you know, a bunch of 12 year old kids sagging their pants way too low and like, you know, manualing <laughs> little fun boxes and <laughs> <laughs> scraping, scraping your knees and elbows and just kind of figuring out what you like through that. Cause then high school came um, yeah. doing the band and Andy kind of started showing me other stuff. And then like the internet was starting to be a thing. I started to go to record stores and just find, find what looked cool. Got into spaz randomly. And that just kind of ruined everything for me. <laughs> everything went downhill from there. <laughs> really? Like, so was it like kind of weird? Cause you're doing, you know, like serious sports at the same time, but you're also like involved in punk with like, was it the same as in other places where that was like a divided kind of world or was it much more intermingled? Uh, it was pretty divided. Like it might've been more divided in my, my teenage mind. Like I, I went to a new high school. So the first, for the first year we were there, it was only freshmen and sophomores. Mm-hmm. And so it was somewhat, it was a pretty small, like close knit, not close knit, but pretty small. You kind of knew everybody. So it wasn't too weird that I was, and it was in the suburbs too. So it was a lot of the kids that were playing sports were skating anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a bit of a divide. There was definitely like extreme jocks and like extreme punks that did not ever cross paths. Yeah. But there was like a good group of people that was kind of like in betweeners kind of mixed with everything. Um, I definitely got a few weird looks. Like I, de- and also would like go to have to go to shows after like games. Like I remember throwing a, uh, playing a summer league baseball game. Pitched, and I think I had like eight or nine strikeouts. Had my mom rushed me down town in her like cheap wagon uh, and dropped me off. And we played, I think, a show with Faded Gray. That hard youth was on that show. This local band called the Riot Kids, which if I don't know if there's any way for you guys to find that or for you to find, I'll send you a. a I'll put it on my computer, upload it, and send it to you. This band was so sick. I want to like hear it. Weird, like, uh, it's like a street punk trial or something. They're fucking tight. That's awesome. A street punk trial, did you say? Yeah, they're sick. <laughs> that sounds amazing. I got to hear that. Yeah, it's sick. The dude's like quoting Thomas Hobbes and stuff. It's, it's, it's really cool. <laughs> That's amazing. That sounds awesome. Uh, I've got the Fade to Gray demo right right above me right now, too, that I'm looking at. So uh, I, I feel yeah, I feel like we've, we've brought it full circle. Um, so, yeah, were you, you, had to, you wore your uniform when you were playing the show? No, I was changing. I had like I was changing out of it, but I still had like you know grass in my dreads and stuff. I was, <laughs> I was all sweaty, covered in like covered in like salt. But uh, we still did it, man. We you did it. it. You're like Scott Radinsky. Yeah, dude. I used to always fucking talk his ear off when uh, when uh, Pulley would come to town. It's like, dude, like you're so sick. Like baseball's <laughs> tight. I play ball. Like he's like, that's awesome, man. And he's he's actually I'm a huge lifetime Dodger fan. He's a pitching coach with the uh, Oklahoma City Dodgers right now, so he's he's, he's on the, in the right organization. <laughs> well, he, he didn't he also play like didn't he when he was playing play for the Angels? Yeah, he played with the Angels. Played with the I think, uh, White Sox for a little bit. Yeah, uh, it was it was cool because they did. When, do you remember that band Scared Straight that he played in? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they did like a. I don't know if they ever if they actually printed the cards, but there was there was this mock-up going around that was like a baseball card. It was like scared straight Scott Radinsky and it was him and his white socks uniform. That's awesome. Like what, 80s mullet. Well, you, you know, there's an episode of this podcast with Brian Walsby, the drummer of Scared Straight, and he went on to form Mac from Super Chunks, 
one of his first bands with him, Ryan Adams' first band with him, and then he turned down playing in Nirvana before Dave Grohl. <laughs> so that's funny. That's why to me, Scared Straight is like one of the greatest bands ever because they have like connections to Major League Baseball and Nirvana and Ten Foot Pole. Yeah, exactly. Ten Foot Pole, great band too. The sick band, you know. And even after they, I, I gotta be honest, I even like that record after he left and did Pulley. Yeah, what was uh, Unleashed or whatever? Yeah, yeah. That, that record was good, man. I think there was one after it that was kind of, it was a bit more on the poppy kind of no effects, like quick palm mute stuff. Yep. But Unleashed was good, man. And the guy that replaced him looks like just like Steve Zahn. He like played guitar and sang or whatever. Oh, but he was, I think he, he was in the band too before, right? Like, didn't they just like... Oh, yeah, yeah. I think he just transferred over. Or yeah, yeah. Like took he over did. vocals or whatever. Yeah, the two guys would trade off. Like, the two guys from Scared Straight. Like, I think it's minus Brian Walsby, 10-foot poles, like, Scared Straight's lineup. Ah. That's really funny. And then, then of course, uh, you know, he had to go on and do Pulley, which became, you know, they were one of the first bands I ever saw in that world. That's sick. But I can't believe I'm Great making artwork. this about me. I can't, I'm, but I'm, I can't believe I'm making this about <laughs> me. This is about you. So where do you... Where, where, tell me about how you got into Pulley. <laughs> just at a show, man. It was like... Uh, we would just go down to Jerry's Pizza every Friday and Saturday. Some Sundays. Sometimes we'd go down and sneak out like on a weekday. If, you know, it was like a school night or whatever. But we'd just go down to Jerry's and see whatever was playing. Like we saw a lot of like random shit. Uh, we'd just go. And so like I saw... Pulley was there. Uh, it was a band that I recognized from one of those compilations, and you know they played their set, they played the hit, and I was a fan. <laughs> <laughs> How big is Jerry's Pizza? Uh, they remodeled it a few times. It used to it was like a shotgun like hallway. Okay, it should probably be maybe like maybe twenty feet wide by like a hundred feet long or something like that. Okay. Now then they opened up and had they used to like close this weird like some gate on it so it was kind of like a I don't know it was kind of like a weird like underdome type thing but then <laughs> they, they took that out because obviously it's a fire hazard yeah. uh, there were these weird pillars there that kids would like someone would inevitably run into it and then when like hardcore started getting big in Bakersfield kids would like break their hands and like all, like you know picking up change and like you know <laughs> smack their elbow or hand against the pillar <laughs> they ended up taking the pillars out and opening up this like, little side area so there's a, a area of Jerry's it's probably like and they also expanded the stage. It, it just keeps getting bigger, but it, it, it's a basement, man. It's pretty small. Yeah. We're, and so, we were playing shows, like maybe like 150, 200 kids there in high school, and it would be like pretty packed out. Yeah. Like, so we, I was going to say, because like Pulley would be, I would have thought bigger there, like the, maybe too big to play that size venue. But like, was that kind of like, would bands just like come through there and play like a, a smaller show type thing? Yeah. I mean, it's Bakersfield. There's, there's, it's kind of far for people to travel from or to mm -hmm. travel to. Mm -hmm. And, uh, there's just not, I mean, there's not a whole lot of people there. So it shows would be big there and maybe like two or 300 kids, but it would be fucking packed to the gills all the way down to the back. It'd be sick, man. Shows would be great there. There's one of those places where, uh, the behind the stage and the uh, wall to the side is all exposed brick. So you really feel like you're in someone's like Midwest basement. That's or, awesome. You know that now. Yeah. You know that now, but back then it's just like, what the fuck, dude? This place is disgusting. <laughs> on the, on the ground, we called it Jerry's grease, and it was a mix of like the condensation from people, you know, just being hot in there and breathing, mouth breathing, uh, sweat, beer, and the uh, alley like dust from outside. People, the people would go out to get air between sets because it would be like a hundred degrees down there. Yeah, so this grease would like build up, and it'd be like sometimes you know like a quarter inch thick, and you always say you'd have shoes, you'd have shoes you'd take down there because you're everything would just be covered and like dusty when you came out. You wouldn't want to touch it. You like your socks would be gross. If you wore jeans, your jeans would just would be just covered in this like black oil. It was disgusting. It's amazing as a band now to think about like what it would feel like to pull up to a venue like that. And you know, we both, and we, I'm sure we both have played the equivalent in our time, but like just how bummed yeah. out you are as a band when you get to a venue and you're like, Oh, well going to ruin a pair of shoes tonight. Yeah, exactly. But the shows are always sick, though, so I feel like I kind of made up for it. The pizza yeah. was free and good for bands. 
dead video games upstairs. <laughs> well, then, 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 you know, what more could you ask for? <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's this other place in town too called the Gate. There's mm-hmm. like a church run, a church run venue, and uh, the Gate, and then the, the Boiler Room was another one that they opened up. It was part of that same kind of that same place locations, I think, once. They're but, both uh, very sinister-sounding names for church-run venues. Yeah, exactly. And they have, like, you know, skate jams in the back. <laughs> what <laughs> bands would play there? Uh, um, bands like Cody Hook and, like, Sidewalk Slam. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard any of those. That no. uh, Dogwood. you probably heard of Dogwood. Uh, maybe. Are they, like, were they, they on have- Tooth & Nail? I think so. Tooth and nail bands would play there. Okay. It'd be like, uh, like, you know, a lot of skate punk bands cause they have like little skate stuff and kind of like have like a youth outreach type program. Yeah. And then later on, they, they would really open up shows to kind of everybody. And there were bands like, uh, people would just like book there and it would be whoever was playing like trash talk played a show there with Broadway calls, uh, living as lions, <laughs> uh, Eddie attack from Tehachapi. Um, yeah, there's there's been some really cool shit there. Wow, did Focal Fair Point ball. ever play there? I would imagine so. Okay, yeah, but I, I don't I don't I don't recall specifically. Yeah, did, you, did MX, were MXPX? They were like it's crazy to like that was like a parallel universe, like that was equally as big at the exact same time. Yeah, absolutely. Like there, the, the kids at, at my school, that you know. In high school, when you first go and you don't really, you don't you don't really know what a punk looks like, but you know what punks look like. Yeah, the kids that looked most the most punk with the bright spikes and like or bright spike hair and fucking studs and shit were all MXPX like that flat kid. Yeah, and I realized like, oh, these are all the church kids that are like rebelling. <laughs> <laughs> MXPX was like, and it's funny because it's almost like the no effects thing too. It's like they're that band, but for the religious world. Yeah, absolutely. They, they had they, some hits too, man. Life in general is a great record. Uh, slowly going away to Buffalo. You must think you're talking to the Ben Cook side of fucked up right now, Spencer, because this is the side <laughs> that does not ride for MXPX. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I, I, I do love. Like oh, you know, I'm not saying anything because of the religious side of it either, too. Because I like, believe me, I like my fair share of religious music. But at the same yeah. time, I don't know. It was just like that was like the wrong side of uh, of. of uh, the pop punk divide for me. Yeah, I feel that. But when you're chilling out in a hundred degree summers, <laughs> doing, doing backflips off the roof into a, your friend's swimming pool, very true. You know, once again, I did not grow up in uh, in in Bakersfield, so I don't I don't have the uh, the necessarily same reference points. Like you know, we like it was because they came here, but it was by the time they'd already kind of crossed over to just like the pop punk world. So yeah. it was like kind of a different thing. And I don't think we had, maybe we had, well, obviously that we have that kind of like scene in, in Canada, but like, I don't think it's, it's big enough to warrant all those bands coming up here and doing like a separate touring circuit. Not absolutely not. You just catch them on like warp tour or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, like at this pizza place, where did it like, where would like kind of like the spaz side of bands play? What was their kind of venue? Was that boxing ring place already going, or were they playing at this pizza yeah. place? Yeah, Munoz Gym was going on. Uh, there were shows going on at Munoz. This dude, uh, uh, Ronald, who's got uh, Going Underground Records in Bakersfield, was like always doing shows there. Um, some bands would play at Jerry. There was a band called Ten Steps to the Throat, which was <laughs> kind of like might have been like ninety nine, two thousand, maybe maybe a little bit later. Yeah, uh, that dude. Steve Coons from Loser Life. Okay, like yeah. His old, like, it was his old grind band, but they would play Jerry's and like Munoz and shit. People would play shows sometimes at like uh, rehearsal spaces. W- was Colin Tappy, the guy from Crime Desire, uh, did he have a band or doing shows back then? You know, there was a. Possibly. Possibly. I think um, he's the guy who did our show, I think. Yeah, I mean, there's a band called, I gotta, Stickman's Revenge was this really cool band uh, from Bakersfield, and there was like a bunch of kids that were doing shows there, like they, or this kid ended up doing shows later that was pretty close to that, they did like street hustle shows with my buddy uh, Ray, Um, 
Yeah, there's like a, a just a ton of ton of local bands because it's just like you've got nothing to do. It's like you grow up in a town like that. You play sports. You play music. You ride dirt bikes. <laughs> like yeah, kind of you know choose your poison. Yeah, yeah. We were told we also had to lock our doors driving through the Taco Bell drive-through. Damn. Down the street from that gym, they were like, "Lock your door when you go through the drive-through." Oh yeah, yeah. Over there's not the over there's not the best. Uh, not the best neighborhood. What was like, but like, were were like the scenes kind of like? Was it small enough because it is a smaller town population wise? Like, were these were these scenes kind of like interconnected, or they were like never shall the two meet, and you're just kind of like floating in between them? Um, like they they're pretty much you know kids kids go to shows wherever. There was a lot of kids that go to shows at Jerry's that didn't even know Munoz was a thing. Um, kids would kind of go back and forth between uh, Boiler Room, Gate Shows, and Jerry Shows. Some t- lot of some kids that went to Jerry Shows wouldn't, go- and Munoz Shows wouldn't go to Gate Shows. Like it'd be they're more like you know like the downtown drinking kids. Like yeah, it's like we didn't even go to, go to a whole lot of shows at the Gate because we were trying to like pound beers in the Jerry's Alley and like, <laughs> and, like you know, go smoke weed <laughs> down the street. Did did your first band ever record? Yeah, dude, we recorded the fucking we recorded a, a tape, and there's probably I think it was like eight or nine songs on it. And what's crazy is the only person that ever heard that tape outside of the band and like a few close friends was my grandpa. He had a tape player in his car, and I showed it to him after after school one day. We long we left we we left the tape in our, our friend Anthony Munoz's stereo at one point, and he went on a on a whim met this girl on. I don't know, must have been like lipstick party or one of those fucking like weird old like pre space like internet things. Yeah, yeah. And fucking, he he moved to Maryland, took all his shit over overnight one night, took that that stereo with him, had that tape in it, and lost the tape in Maryland. Oh so there's man, there's a stereo built tape that's probably destroyed somewhere with some super bangers. <laughs> How, how did you how did you start playing music? Like, were you did your like parents get you into it, or were you just like? Just out of hearing no, these bands. No, not at all. It was like I was hearing the bands. Like I, I played uh, high school. I played football growing up. And then in high school, I played football. I was a quarterback and we had to yell a lot. So people yeah. can hear you. No, you're saying and that. Like, but, like, like, had you had oh, you been playing before that? Or was he, were you just like, he was just no, like, you got to say this. My first, yeah, that was my first band. It was like, uh, I'd never even thought about it before. And I sang. And it was just like. Willing to, you know, we had like Foo Fox, man, like 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 land speed and all that stuff was really cool back then. So we were like, you know, jumping off of shit, and like fools were just being really reckless with their kind of reckless abandon because you're like 14 and 15, you heal pretty quickly. So yeah, it wasn't. It, I say football, and it's not like your typical like you don't. It's not like guys, you know, trash can and dweebs and stuff. It was like a bunch of kids like like just fucking doing extreme sports and like being kind of crazy. So. It was just a couple guys that were like, "Yeah, like, we like music. Like, we got a band. I play guitar to start a band." And so, like, we just did. And I never even thought about it before that, and kind of never thought about not doing it since that. <laughs> That's awesome. So, where'd you kind of go from like the first band? Like, did you? What happened after? Like, how did that um, band kind of stop? Actually, that band existed like through high school, um, and like. We had a couple of friends pass, did some kind of shows with them, and just kind of like our our bass player and drummer moved away. Our drummer moved away to went to college, had another drummer that played with us for a little bit, and it's just kind of you know life happens, kids get older. Um, we added a second guitar player for a while. It was kind of weird, like things just kind of changed. Uh, everyone kind of ended up moving away and never just kind of did dissipated. I guess well, not everyone. I I moved away, and they were doing like a college at home, junior college at Bakersfield College. Uh and our our uh guitar player ended up playing football there for a while and is like an engineer now. Bass player is like living over in the on the coast, I think working with his uh mom's like farm or his uh, aunt's farm or something. Okay. Yeah, life happens. People kinda yeah. just <laughs> kinda yeah. moved on from it. But at that point I went up to moved up to uh, Tacoma, Washington, went to school and uh I was playing baseball up there and kind of didn't really fit in with the baseball team because that's when 
sports tend to become a lot more elite, and it's kind of like guys are more the, towards the jock end of the spectrum. So I, I didn't really vibe with any of them. They're all like frat bros and kind of doing their own thing. Dudes were nice, but it was just not really my scene. Mm-hmm. And I ended up meeting this meeting this dude in the uh, in the cafeteria because I was wearing a curse shirt after a, after I went to the gym. And he's like, "Well, you like curse? Like I always thought you were just some jock." And it ended up being this dude Adam from uh, this band called Grace Cole that was doing house shows at this place called Twelve Twenty Seven at the time. And so it kind of got me into like the DIY house show scene in Tacoma and met a ton of people up there, like Brian Skiffington and all those dudes. And from there, it was just like joined bands, playing all kinds of bands. And uh, that my freshman year, I ended up fracturing my pubic bone and stopped playing sports and just basically went full force into, into music, dropped out of, ended up dropping out of school and just touring kind of year-round, playing bass, playing drums, singing, kind of doing everything, uh, booking shows at my house. What were some of the bands you were in like the, during that time period? Like, what were they called? Did they even record or do anything? Uh, I had a couple of bands that recorded. Like, I ended up playing bass in a band uh, called Stop at Nothing when their bass player moved to California. The first band I played bass in was another band that, that was uh, go, kind of already going on. I put out a demo. It was called Count the Hours. It was like a melodic hardcore band. Okay. And uh, their bass player left to go to college. So it was just kind of like, it was that age where everyone's like, you know, 18, 19, some of the kids are 17 mm-hmm. in the bands and people are moving away. So I was playing to kind of like filling in in a lot of those type of bands, uh, drummed in a, like a couple weird little like projects at home, just, just kind of playing local shows, nothing really big. Uh, Stop at Nothing did a couple releases, um, did a few tours. Count the did a tour, but not, nothing crazy. I'm always amazed why like other people that start as lead singers that have a musical ability beyond being a lead singer. Cause I don't um, like, <laughs> was it just from being around bands that you like picked up all these other instruments? Or, like, as you say, like you didn't yeah. really grow up in a musical household. Yeah. It was like when in high school, like uh, we live, everyone lives in the suburbs, like at my school. So like everyone had big garages mm-hmm. and my parents were just allowed us to be loud. And so we would always have drums and amps and shit set up in my house. So I'd like ask our, initially I went out there to kind of just bang on the drums, kind of like see what it felt like. And then I kind of started like listening to like my no effects CDs and like learning that, you know, they're playing that little fast, like <laughs> one, two punk beat. Yep. Yeah, the cheater beat. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and then like, uh, just kind of start, started playing drums from there. Got never, never got good, but I was able to kind of like fake it mm-hmm. a little bit. Uh, and then a friend left the bass at my house that I guess was his girlfriend's or something. And she broke up with him and left him the bass. And it was just this weird, he, he was kind of <laughs> dramatic, but let, made a huge story and like left the bass. Like, I can't see it. Left the bass at my house. So like, I sat and learned bro him and one night and I was like, all right, this is tight. <laughs> and the rest is history. <laughs> yeah. The rest is, the rest is, uh, the rest is something. So when did, what did you, well, that, like, so you're kind of playing in these bands and watching touring full time. Did you have like a, were you just like, I just want to do music, like no greater plan than that. Or was there like, kind of like, were you like thinking about stuff like at life after sports? Like what, what was that moment like? Not, not, it was all kind of fluid, man. It was just like this. I was, I never, I didn't even think about like most, most shows we were doing was like costing money back then. Yeah, so it was yeah. like, I was just going to school. I was pretty bummed out. Uh, I was in a pretty, pretty constant pain because of my hip. I was straight mm-hmm. edge at the time. Um, so it was just like, it was just like what, what you did. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't really have interest in going to school up there anymore. It was pretty, it was getting pretty expensive for my parents. And I felt like it was a kind of a waste of their money if I wasn't really into it like that. Mm-hmm. So I guess it was a waste of money, <laughs> but just continued <laughs> doing that. And, uh, and uh, kind of just by by force of reason, just went full force into music. Got a job at Target, which fucking sucked. Ended up painting houses for a while and just playing music, man. So how did you kind of like move back to, did you just like decide eventually to move back? Like how did you hook up with, uh, with everyone? Like it was with Lee and Garrett. Yeah, I met, I met Lee when I was playing in Stop at Nothing and like uh, there was that carry on reunion at, at, at like I think it was 2001 or 2002 
at a showcase in Corona. Well, we, a bunch of us traveled down from the Northwest to go to this show and there was, you know, everyone's broke fucking teenagers. So we'd be all maybe like 10 of us plus like 15 people that we randomly knew kind of from the South Bay and California all got two hotel rooms <laughs> Yep, and everyone crashed there. And that's where Lee and I met. Like Lee was just like a shaved head, like probably like 15, 16 year old kid. And I was like 19 and we were just like bouncing off the wall, like ADD fucking going like ape shit in this room. And kids are just like, man, everyone wants to go to sleep in this room. And it's like, all right, cool. Then there's a group of us that wanted to go party in the other room. And so we were all part partying. Some kids were drinking and shit, but me and Lee were just so straight edge at the time and just like flipping on the beds and just like goofing off. And that, that's where I met Lee. <laughs> Did you guys hit it off? Really of, sense. So you guys kind of, yeah, hit it off immediately. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Cause we're just like fucking just yelling and being weird. Like yeah! just shouting back and forth. And that was kind of like beginning of a friendship there. And then I met Garrett, I think the next summer at, uh, sync with Cali. He mm-hmm. was in a band called, uh, a band called the voice. And their singer, this dude, Carl walks up behind me and taps me on the shoulder. I was at, at one of the merch tables. I think I was at the half heart merch table looking at the weed leaf, uh, shirts they did. <laughs> I think the tank tops they did that summer. And the dude's like, uh, yo, we got to play in like 10 minutes. And I turn around and was like, what? And he's like, Oh shit. You had to be like a guitar player. You guys look alike. And I'm like, all right, cool, whatever. And then it went on and it was like this demo that I'd been jocking for a while because it's fucking tight. It was damn sick. And then I met Garrett and he was like really bummed out. He's like, man, it's weird that something's like another black dude here. Like, this is weird. <laughs> and so begrudgingly, he and I became friends like over, over the next like couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That's like, what, what's, what was the voice like? We're like, what do they sound like? Uh, they were named after that trouble song. Uh, they were like fast, screamy, hardcore. Um, there was this dude, Carl, that was like a, like kind of a skinhead at the time of school, a lot of orient shit was like really influenced by like whiskey rebels and stuff that was going on in like sack. Okay. And there was that dude, uh, DJ, uh, who played bass in killing the dream. And uh, Isaac Fertini on drums, who would play drums in Killing the Dream, was a fucking killer drummer. Um, I forget who played guitar in that band. It was just real, it was fast as shit. Um, I guess in, in the vein of like American Nightmare, I guess. Oh, whoa. Did they, like, so they just had the demo and that was it kind of thing? Yeah, they had the demo like made. I don't know if they ever released anything on vinyl. It was like they did a. Back then, it was like the CDRs. Everyone yeah. would get the CDRs and spray paint them. And like, depending on your level of, of you know, craftsmanship, you might like put a little stencil on it or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But if you do too much, you risk it not playing or breaking, jamming someone's CD player. So you can't. <laughs> it was just a bunch of that. I think they did maybe two releases, but crazy tons of like different like edition, you know, like gray with the white splatter, splatter or like. <laughs> did, you, did you, do you keep any of those or did you buy? I mean, you must have bought them, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got some of my parents' house. I know it was like uh, they ended up changing their name because there was that uh, like a national socialist band called uh, called The Voice. Oh shit! Or they named after also a, like a, a a publication called The Voice that was like a dissenter type magazine that was pretty pretty right wing militant. So they didn't want to be associated with that at all, especially with with Carl, who's you know looks like a skinhead who sings in the band. Yeah. So they ended up they ended up changing their name to Drugs of Youth and kind of existed a little bit like as that and then kind of dissipated from that. Oh, great. Okay. So like that's and so like Spence. Uh, sorry. Like uh, so. Uh, so you met like Lee and and Garrett. Then had they did they know each other at this point? Yeah, they both lived in Sacramento. Um, Lee was booking shows at that place, West Coast Worldwide, like uh, Mikey Hood's old spot. Okay. Yeah. And like. Garrett was doing sound, I think, at a place called Capital Garage, maybe, or he was like kind of bouncing around doing sound because he went to music school in LA and then moved back to SAC. And Lee and him kind of knew each other through the scene up there. Uh, Garrett was like, did re- I guess he was like a recording engineer uh, on the tra- on the, the Trash Talk demo before Trash Talk was like Trash Talk. It was like Lee and like th- uh, three dudes from SAC. Uh, okay, that dude's Carl Carl's little brother and like a few other dudes. And, uh, I guess the guitar player couldn't 
I'm not going to name names, but the guitar player couldn't play his parts. Okay. Garrett was getting pissed off trying to record it and was like, dude, fuck this, man. I'm just going to do their parts and ended up recording his parts and just joining the band on guitar. <laughs> At that point, I was just moving back to back to Bakersfield from Tacoma and it was just kind of organically they're like, oh, you play bass. You got these bands. Like, you want to play bass in this band? And it was like, so this band recorded a, a demo and then within like three days, it was a completely new lineup <laughs> and uh, a different drummer and just Lee singing. And then from there, we like, were actually writing songs and did like a couple other things, seven inches. And then it kind of just kept going. Yeah. Well, of course, like it kind of <laughs> did like, well, that's the thing is like you guys, I said it on the introduction when I knew you were coming on this podcast that you're like, you guys are one of those bands that change things like really change the paradigm, like really change hardcore in like a, a major way. And like, you know, and it felt like you guys were getting like buzz almost immediately. Did it feel that way internally? Like it felt like once your first sort of, I remember seeing like photos of shows that just looked insane. And it was just like the reputation you guys had for being like this, like live band that was just out of control kind of seemed to start it, right out of the gate. Yeah. At that point, man, it was like the band, the West coast was a little bit different than the East coast. Like the band that we wanted to be like, was like shark attack. Like we want, but everyone in the band wanted to fucking be jumping off of like shit or like no justice. Like, yeah, like, but everyone wants to smash their face or something. So it's like, aside from Gary, of course, Gary didn't want to mess with his face up. But like, so fools are like, we play a show and we would play every single show that would have us. Yeah. We'd playing, you know, two shows a weekend. Like I'd drive up from Bakersfield and go spend a weekend sack and we'd play three or four shows. And it'd be like, play in front of mostly rooms of people that hadn't heard of us, didn't want to see us. Maybe it was only 10 people in the room, but like there would be, you know, three or four friends that were always jumping off of shit. Jason T would be like, grabbing chairs and throwing them trash cans. People would just be throwing stuff and it would just kind of be this like weird, like kind of unsafe atmosphere in, in the, in the early days. Yeah. But then it sounded like shit. Like it was just like, we were just playing our asses off. But it was just like, didn't really come together. And then, so it's kind of better. Maybe more people weren't there. <laughs> and we would just kind of play every show we could up the coast, down the coast, like pack five, six dudes into Honda civics and just like pack, whatever gear we could and like borrow gear everywhere and just try to fucking play. Cause that's what we were doing. Like, I don't know. Well, like, yeah. everyone's trying to escape, escape something. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, like that's the thing is like, you guys kind of, you know, as you say, played with every type of band and I guess still like play with like probably the most diverse range of artists out there for a hardcore band. You guys managed to play with like everyone, right. From like music producers to, to like, you know, like on the Soundwave tour, we're playing with like straight up pop punk pants and stuff like that. Um, yeah, yeah. What scene did you guys kind of fall into out of the gate? Like, did you feel you're like, were there any bands you kind of felt like a kindred spirit to? Like when, when we were starting, it was like our first tours was with a band called Sabretooth Zombie from the oh, yeah. day. Yeah, I totally remember them. Uh, yeah. And it was like Sabretooth and uh, Ceremony, uh, Steel Trap. But like we were like real, like real, real close with Steel Trap and and Sabretooth, and we just do a bunch of shit with those dudes, and just like that was kind of it. It was just a bunch of fucking weirdos trying to play fast ass music and like be weird together. Um, in the in the in the cars we were taken out, it was like my uh, Toyota Matrix or Garrett's like Saturn wagon until both of those fucking went and drove both of those into the dirt. It was just like we were listening to a lot of rap in the van always. So it kind of just made sense when we were able to get to a point where we could start playing with rappers. It was just kind of like, oh, sick, that'd be cool. Yeah, we'll play with rappers. That's fun. Like, this is cool. It's funny to think that you and Ceremony, like, two bands that, like, don't sound alike, but, like, two bands that have also gone on to have incredibly amazing long careers. Yeah, definitely. I feel like uh, in the in the very early days, it was it was fairly, it was pretty similar. It was just like, everyone just wanted to play fast and then kind of everyone kind of like grew up and started actually like appreciating music rather than just like <laughs> wanting to jump off something to something fast. Yeah. So kind of like turns into, turns into like a, turns into an actual band. You go from just making, making music and making noise into like becoming a band, which is really cool. I wonder how many like, cool to... moder- Oh, sorry, go on. Sorry. No, I was going to say, it's been really cool to see, to see them grow as a band and like, 
play the music they want to play. Like, I wonder how many modern day trash talk fans and how many modern day ceremony fans know that your two bands were so closely linked in the beginning. Uh, I don't know. Probably only the old farts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's, it's uh, I don't know. I always find that interesting when you have bands that kind of like go on and, and, and do different things and kind of exist in different spaces in music. But like, yeah, it all comes back to this like weird intersection that is punk and hardcore. Yeah, definitely. Um, Absolutely. I mean, it, go on. It was like, it was pretty, ins- I mean, the whole like, it was Northern California, man. It was pretty incestuous. Like, I don't, I don't really know how, I can't really speak for how it was on the East Coast at that time or the Midwest because we were just kind of mobbing up and down the West. But mm-hmm. it was like, most, most bands weren't afraid to play with, with like any kind of band. Like, we were playing like weekend shows with like Ride On and Allegiance. So like, uh, fucking miles away came up from, came up from Australia and did a tour with, uh, with Blue Monday. And that, that was like one of the first like tours that like, we just like hopped on and did the whole thing. Cause like miles away was just like, they were felt really weird about playing with a band that was straight edge and didn't quite sound like them. But to us, it was just normal. And so they, we kind of hopped on that tour and, and to kind of make it, they wanted to feel a little more welcome up there, but it was just kind of like, it didn't seem any different to us. Like that seemed like a normal tour. Everything seemed regular. Yeah. I guess it was like, I guess it was like that when we were playing too on the East coast. But I remember a couple of years before that, it was when you still, it was just kind of, I guess the West coast has always been slightly different that way, but like, it was kind of like you didn't really have the intermixing of worlds in the East coast. It didn't seem like as much. Yeah, for sure. I've always felt like a bit of a divide out there, especially when we do, when we would go out there in the early days, people would look at us so crazy. <laughs> 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 you're like who the fuck are these idiots like what are they doing but it changed <laughs> yeah <bit>. yeah <laughs> well i guess it changed well because it's like yeah i guess it's you're right like it's the west coast like the shows are always i remember going out and playing sound and fury like the time we played that and being like holy fuck this is like these are shows are really crazy and not that these coast shows aren't like over the top and sometimes violent and things like that in their own way and it's, and then once again, it's changed a lot now, but like at that point, it was a lot more about like folding your arms and watching than it was about like just going crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've always felt that like, like, I feel like the West coast feels very like go for it, punk, like fools are skateboarding and like willing to just throw their bodies off of shit. And the East coast is like fools are, it's cold. People are mad. But they're more willing to fight. Yeah. but it's gonna it's gonna take more for them to like take off their you know like 300 fill coat and then take <laughs> off their sweatshirt yeah and then like warm up and then be sweaty when you have to go back outside to you know 20 degrees <laughs> and fucking freeze your ass off like it's it's a di- very different vibe yeah you're right it is and it does come down to probably the weather like it comes down to you're right like and i, I didn't even think about the clothing thing but I remember like the last time i moshed at a show i tore my winter jacket and uh, I was like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do this again. So you're right; it does come down to the clothing side of it. I think I've never thought of it that way, but you're right; that is a a huge deciding factor, I think, in in whether or not you're going to go crazy. Yeah, man, fashion choices. I'm probably speaking to the the, the Ben side of fucked up when I say this too, but got to follow uh, 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 Ben Weasel from Screeching Weasel's Punk Rock uh, Rules, man. You got the dress code, and if you follow the dress code, you're chill. <laughs> What's the dress code? I'm I'm a, I'm a Screech and Weasel music fan. I don't know if I subscribe oh, yeah, to the, Ben Weasel's doctrines, <laughs> but yeah, it's like uh, you've got the punk rock dress code. It's like you don't wear hats at shows. Uh, if you got a mohawk, it's got to be charged. Uh, you don't wear shorts. <laughs> oh man, I've definitely violated all these fashion things in my yeah. life. It's like hardcore is like a full of like a full violation of those rules. <laughs> yeah, like I think also like it, you know you got to wear shorts at some of those shows in California because those shows are like as you say over a hundred degrees. Oh yeah, for sure, easy. But we have to we just have to wait wait for wait like shows to be lifted at seven o'clock or eight o'clock in Bakersfield, but it'd be like one hundred and ten degrees during the day, and then it just wouldn't like cool down because it's just all cement downtown and it would just fucking shows would have to start at like nine ten o'clock because it would be like you know 9500 degrees downstairs just people just couldn't play <laughs> also it seems like you know like i think the other difference between the two areas 
especially by the time you guys were coming out there, it's like people hadn't really, and not that people, everyone broke edge, but like people hadn't really broken edge yet. And it was still like more of a straight edgy kind of scene. And I think you guys were bringing, you guys were the first band, like when I broke straight edge that I ever saw that smoked cannabis like that. Oh uh, yeah. And so I think that was <laughs> a different vibe than a lot of people on the East coast had at that time. Also probably due to access yeah. to the same sort of caliber of, of cannabis too, at that point. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's been a pretty strong part of, uh, of trash talks, like post edge days. Like I, there, I think at one point, every member of trash talk was straight edge, except for like our drummer, like in the very early days, but very quickly dropped out of life bong in hand. <laughs> uh, is it true that one time allegedly you guys toured with a garbage bag of cannabis I'm sorry what was that is it true that one time there was a garbage bag of cannabis in the van uh, probably there's probably been dude there's probably a garbage bag of cannabis in the van right now but there's, <laughs> yeah there's, there's definitely been like Lots of lots of weed in there at some point. There's probably not in one in the van right now, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not uh, right now. I probably, I probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. Like, we there's been like a bunch of like weird random shows for pot. Like, we once played a a kid's going away to prison uh, show. He got caught like trafficking a bunch of weed, and we we played a show on the morning he was uh, supposed to go to prison because he came out to our show that before. He was like, dude, I'm going to jail soon. Like. We guys play a show at my house, like no shit. I'm like, okay, I guess. He's like, No, dude, like seriously, like in the morning, like eight o'clock, like I'll give you guys a quarter pound. And we're like, <laughs> Yeah, I guess. So we played a show at like fucking eight AM, played a bunch of new songs. I played it like a me and Sam played a uh like a do like a stoner metal set, a doom set. <laughs> uh like and just got this fucking big ass bag of weed and smoked it for fucking hella long. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, dude, yeah, I, was, I, go on. No, no, go for it. No, I was going to say, like, uh, that sounds like my dream show. Yeah. It, it, walking up to it, it wasn't much of a dream. It was like this this house had been – this was the house that was raided that he was caught oh. selling weed in. Oh. It was right across the street from a fucking elementary school. There was oh. no front door on it because it had been battering <laughs> – it had been rammed through. There were black, black like uh, – burn marks all over the carpet in the front room from where they had thrown smoke canisters in. It was pretty fucked up. Like it was surprising to see that this kid was on his own reconnaissance until he had to actually report to prison. Or wow. Or whatever. It was gnarly. And that sucks too. Cause that's like in California, like at the same oh, time, was, or was that now in California? Yeah, that was up in uh, Portland, Oregon. Well, that's in Portland, Oregon. Like that's like, you know, where now they have the most lib- liberal, cannabis legalized program in in the country in america yeah exactly but you know that was like nine years ago like right probably when they were huh. trying to put that ref- referendum into initiative but like it's just like you know too much too soon man yeah yeah it's sometimes he, it costs he's out me. now he's chilling he's, he's good oh that's good that's good <laughs> well that's yeah, like one of those things where you're like wow they're they're gonna we were talking about this me a friend of mine here in toronto yesterday it's like they're gonna lock people up Right until the moment they legalize. Oh yeah, for sure. That's a, it's it's money, man. It's a it's a corporation. Yeah. Well, there I could talk conglomerate. to you. Yeah, it's like it's it's anyway. I as I say, I Spencer, I could talk to you all day, and I would love to do a part two with you at some point in the future. Um, but I now have to go pick my children up from school. Um, Sweet. But dude, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, for sure, man. And uh, let, let's do a part. Let's do a part two in the future because there's like, I know about, I know about a, maybe a half a dozen trash talk stories, maybe uh, that probably can't be told on the air. But I definitely know a lot of trash talk tour stories that have to be told on the show at some point because you guys have had some pretty pretty wild tours. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, man. It's good to have you, man. Uh, it's good to be, it'd be great to talk to you again on the on the cast. Thank you, Spencer, for coming on the show. Now, of course, Spencer will be back 
for future episodes. Hopefully, I know because I've talked to him about it already, uh, but we will be doing future ones with Spencer. And yeah, that was a lot of fun. Next week on the show, I have no idea how it's going to turn out, but you will be hearing live from the House of Vans in Chicago that that crazy bill, I'm going to be plucking members away from it, being to do turned out a punk with. I'm going to be forcing them to to do this show before they go on stage, which is not something I would want to do, but thankfully they do. Yay. Uh, So once again, please check out houseofvans.com for more information about these shows. And it's going to be tonight in Chicago. I sound like Cole Cabana right now. I should hit up Cole Cabana and see if he's around. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a good time. So please come on out and enjoy the show. Um, Thank you everyone for listening. Remember anyone can do this, go out there and make your own culture. And once again, thank you very much to Vans for coming on board and helping me out with this thing. See you next week.